0: I, w- I was in the sauna this morning thinking about you guys. And I was, just, I was just thinking of how grateful I am. Just There's so many cool people, I don't know, just crossing our paths across our whole life. Just made me kind of a little emotional, but also just happy. We're supposed to get touchy-feely at the end, not, not, not at the beginning.
1: <laughs> YouTube stats show that touchy-feely at the end works, <laughs> but at the beginning, people just bounce.
2: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off on the road. Let's
2: travel. All right. Look Noah, we're live. We've got Noah Kagan, one of my dearest friends, one of the OGs of internet marketing, of entrepreneurship on, on, on the uh, on the internet, one of my uh, inspirations. You run this company called uh, AppSumo. It does like 80 million in revenue. Now you're a YouTuber. You have, what, one point something million subscribers. And you're here to promote a book, which you've clearly placed right in front of you. <laughs> that,
0: w- I didn't even see that there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> give us some of the, the sort of wisdom bombs or insight bombs from the book. So give me give us some of the, the the key ideas or
0: highlights that you think, uh you know, you want people to take away when they read the book. All right, Sean, I have a quote of you in the book. I don't know oh. if you actually said this, though. Oh, That's been, great. ask you a while back. All right. <laughs> but uh, so we we kind of read this book like a tech startup where we did like surveys and beta testing and all this stuff. And so one of Sean's quotes, Sean, I hope you said this. Yeah, late. I'm saying yes either way. Uh, Don't worry, I got your back. Show me an experimenter, and over the long run, I'll show you a future winner. That's true. I did say that. Oh, yes. Thank God. I was gonna have to <laughs> like, have to reprint the entire tens of thousands of books. uh From the, You know what I will say from the surveys that we've done and what people said, the results that they got, uh, number one thing is this now, not how idea. And it just means just fucking start right away. But people get so, especially with, you guys see so many people listen to your show and they're like, I don't know, I want to listen to more shows. I need to go listen to these like fake YouTube gurus that are out there that don't even run real businesses. Uh, But realizing they can actually do things like right now. Like, how do I get a buck right now? Just go get a dollar. Venmo Noah, at Noah Kagan. Go get it from a friend. Go get it from your uncle. And I think people are waiting to be ready and they're just never ready. And people like yourselves, me, who ultimately have gotten to somewhere of wealth, we're just doing shit.
2: You just have this course called the Monthly 1K. I, I tell people there's two courses that I paid for that changed my life. And it was a novels copywriting course. And then it was your Monthly 1K course. I remember I bought this Thank when I you. was 20, 23 years old. I think it was $300. And it was like a really big deal for me to buy that. And I started a, a, a business based off of it that was like making thousands of dollars a month. And then I shut it down. And one of the first lessons in the book was to go to a coffee shop and ask for a discount. And I was petrified to do that. I remember I was so afraid to do that, but I did do it. And then you talked about uh, emailing people or calling people and getting customers before you even build the thing. Which at the time, now everyone talks about that. But at the time, I was like that was it. Kind of blew my mind. And during that period of my life, it was all about action. And so I don't know if I could show my feet here because I don't don't know if I can move. I won't even try it. But I got I I I went and bought I uh basically a sewing needle do you guys know what stick and poke is Do you know what a stick and poke is sean
0: sounds like a jail cell tattoo (laughs) it
2: is listen you get a sewing needle and you get the thread and you wrap it around the edge of a pencil so just the needle is sticking out and then you go and buy india ink for five bucks and you dip it in the, the 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 needle and you just put all these little dots and i've got the word act on my left foot and the word now on my right foot, and this was when I was still partying and drinking a lot, so I was a little. I was inebriated when I did this, but and I was like every day this. Co- I was like this course is so good every day when I wake up in bed and my and I could see my feet and I put my feet down. At, you know, at the end of the bed, at the edge of the bed. When I get up in the morning, I'm going to see act now, and that's my whole like life. You know, for business at least, my mantra for business. And I remember it, like taking your course, and I was like, it's all about action, fuck planning. Business plans are stupid. Business cards are stupid. LLCs are stupid. It's all about action and
0: social media. Yeah, dude,
1: that's the ROI, Sam. That's the ROI right there. He made you get tatted up. That's the ROI, dude.
0: I thought he was gonna say his tattoo is Act Noah. I thought I was gonna say Noah, not now, dude. Those are some feet, yeah, dude. Some people, some people would, would look
2: at it and they're like what's ACT? And I was like, yeah, I got SAT on the other foot. I just love testing.
0: Be <laughs> mad on his ass. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I, So number one for the book, Now Not How, just what can you do today? And I don't think people realize how much more shit they can do in a day. The second thing is what you just said, which is the power of asking. Like the upside of asking is like, I got on a private jet. The upside of asking, when we teach it through the coffee challenge and other examples. Coffee challenge is what you did, which is you asked for a discount. So I did it. I did the coffee challenge last week. I did a, a YouTube video where I tried to do the coffee challenge, I got rejected a ton. And it, you know what? You get rejected and you're like, oh shit, guess what? That's okay. Let's go forward.
2: Dude, this is such an immigrant mentality. And this is why I love or children of immigrants. Uh, no, you're, you're, you've are you got immigrants, uh, your, your father, and then Sean has uh, an immigrant family. Most of my best friends do. They all have this energy where they ask for shit that I was so embarrassed to do. And then I hang out with Sean for a little while and I see how he negotiates. I hang out with Neville for a little while. It's just like this this shameless ability to go and ask for stuff. And it totally changed my perspective. I used to be so embarrassed. Like, I would go out to eat. And if, you, if I ordered a pizza and you brought me like chicken parmesan, I'd be like, eh, fuck it, whatever. Just give it to me. I'm, I'm not going to say shit to this person. I'm not, I'm not going to complain at all. And then I started hanging out with these guys. And uh, it totally changed my perspective on just being like ruthless about asking for things. And it, and it 100% worked.
0: I mean, that's all business is, right? Business is like, hey, will you be my sponsor for your guy's show necessarily, or will you be my customer? Will you be my partner, or will you be my employee? It's an ask. Uh, so at Camp MFM, um, so
1: this is a slide. I don't know if you can see it. So this, so this is Joe Gebbia, the founder of Airbnb, and he he gave us a, a impromptu presentation off his phone. So he had a, he basically had like some old presentation he had given that he kind of like found slides on his phone. He started he basically started screen sharing from his phone onto the TV. And he goes, um, he was, he was like, oh, this was our sales formula. So this is the Airbnb founder's sales formula, and it's S W squared plus W C equals M O. So I don't know if you can, if you've ever heard that. He's like, anybody heard this before? We're like, no. He goes, no. So here's what it stands for: some will, some won't. Who cares? Move on.
0: <laughs> and he's
1: like, this is the sales <laughs> formula. Once you realize that, some will say yes, some won't. Who cares? Move on. He's like, Beautiful. now you have the entrepreneurial sales formula, the ultimate formula that will serve you. Yeah, but did he tattoo career. that on his
2: ass?
0: No. <laughs> Do you know that Airbnb is like, it's, it's featured in the book. It's also a great example of how to get started super fucking quickly. You guys know how they started? On uh,
2: Craigslist, right? They, 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 they had like a designer's conference was in town.
0: So they had a designer's conference and they sent an email to the designer's conference saying, hey, does anyone want to stay on our couch? That was how they tested the business. That's now worth $100 billion. And I think that when you start realizing like there's other ways of doing this, you don't have to do like some Silicon Valley funded way. You start realizing like, oh, and Facebook started that way in a weekend. Airbnb did. A lot of other companies can too.
2: So Sean and I lived in San Francisco for a long time. He's still there. We've had, uh, I probably have had 10 Silicon Valley friends and I imagine Sean has had more and they message us and they're like, hey, uh, you know, I used to invest in VC stuff. You know, I I invest in startups and they'll see what Sean's doing a little bit about investing in cash flowing businesses and they're like can you teach me how to do that that is so much better or like they they want to just make profits now as opposed to you know waiting 12 years to sell business and it, there there is definitely this shift it seems like that's happening have you had that Sean where a bunch of your friends are hollering at you about that
1: uh, no they're not like asking me how to do it. It's pretty straightforward how to do it. I don't think that's the question. I think uh but you <laughs> are right that a bunch of basically it's the losers of the Silicon Valley lottery, right? The winners are like <laughs> you know you, t- you hang out with Joe Gebbia. He's not asking me about how to invest in cash flowing businesses, right? He's not, he's not he's not trying to find, you know, the next uh 10% compounding or whatever. Uh it's but it's the rest of us. It's the 99% of the population who played the Silicon Valley lottery for 10, 12, 15 years and then we're like, all right, I am smart but God, can I play a game with a little bit higher odds of success? Because guess Mm. what? I don't actually need $3 trillion to be happy. Um, You know, I'd actually just like to be financially free and I'd like to use all this business knowledge I have, but in a way that's not 95% based on luck and variance, which is what I would call most Silicon Valley startups. And so, yeah, there's definitely a shift to doing things that just work, uh, maybe buying companies that already work and making them work better. And also, uh, people realizing that it's a lot more funny to have, it's a lot more fun to have money now than it is to maybe have money on an IPO ten years from now. And so, sure, the, all, all those are definitely on trend as far as I can tell. You said most of these companies succeed by luck and variance. Yeah, I think if you put, if I put a hundred uh, of my friends from Silicon Valley in a room, and I said, uh, you know, and what ended up happening is that let's say five to seven of them ended up doing the thing we were all trying to do. We're all trying to build a billion dollar company, and maybe five to seven of them did it. I don't think it's because those five to seven were smarter or more talented or harder working than the other hundred. Um, what the two things that I think they did do is project selection, market selection. So I think they picked the right idea in the right market. Um, but it's not that they're better at doing that necessarily. It's not that they, those guys had a different insight or a, a, a higher skill at picking. Um, you know, they they happened to pick, or the thing that they were curious about happened to be on trend, or happened to be the thing that where the bigger opportunity was. So I think that's one. Um, and the second is, you know, the, the there are, you know, still like twelve, you know, plinko bounces of the of the puck as they go, right? Like I'm talking to the Airbnb guy. My biggest takeaway was, this company should have died like seven times, and I actually give them credit because I think they are in the top 0.01 percent of like grit and resilience that they actually did have a different thing that pushed them through. But most of the people I know that made it, it they didn't have the same a uh, number of times it could have failed once they once they got going uh, if that makes sense. So anyways, I, I guess I don't think out of the batch of 100 people that the difference between the winners and losers was intelligence or talent or hard work. I don't believe that that's what was the difference.
0: I would agree with that. I think these people figure things out, but it, it is interesting because right now we glorify this person that like it's not working for a hundred years and then finally like the light bulb works. you know it's, it's interesting we glorify that, but a lot of it is like for you guys and myself, how many things have you guys done? That did not work. I mean, at least 15, 20 projects that I've tried that did not work.
1: Right. Some were a day project and some were two years projects to three years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've done many, many, many things and uh, like three have taken off. This podcast being one of them. <laughs> yeah, so like
0: 30, per- 10% have worked. I think we think that the people are smarter though, Sean. We're like, oh, these people must know something I don't know. And like I, I talked to A bunch of CEOs when I came back to AppSumo because I left for a few years, and I remember I interviewed like the founder, the CEO of Udemy at the time, and all these other like famous kind of CEO people. I was like, these people aren't that much better than us, and I think we that takes some time to recognize though. And then you, it does maybe they have more experience, which is stuff we can learn over time.
2: You're fascinating right now, I think, because you've you run one of these companies that was talked about a ton when you first launched it because you were one of the early guys in. You're you're kind of in this world with Tim, Ferris, and Ramit. And so you were part of the kind of the zeitgeist in 2008 to 2014, maybe. And then you started this company, AppSumo, which is like Groupon for software discounts. And you've kind of been quiet, or at least the company has been quiet, AppSumo. But it's one of those stories where you're like, What's going on with AppSumo, and then you find out that they're just quietly crushing it uh, wherever you you know I don't know what you did in year one, but it's probably ten years old. You're at eighty million in revenue, and what I admire about AppSumo and what you've built there is that you've just done the same thing for about a decade or even more, and it's just been quietly crushing it. How long? How how old is it?
0: So it's fourteen years, almost fourteen years old. It's going through puberty, so we've got some growing pains here.
2: But but it's been it's been cool though to see that you're just like. I think that there's a few companies like this. I, uh, like one example, and I have no idea if this is true, is like, you know, or you guys know Hey.com and Superhuman, the email software companies? Yeah. yeah, they do. I think there's a bunch of companies that like they get a lot of hype and then they just get quiet for five, ten, however long years. And they just are quietly killing it and building the business.
1: I'll give you an example of one card. Oh, yeah.
2: We talked about it. About seven to
1: ten years ago, it was really popular to create like your your personal website, right? You're about dot me. And then there was like Wix and Weebly. And those were like hot YC startups that were, you know, that were doing the thing. Squarespace was like on every podcast, advertising everywhere. Um, and then Card came out and it was just simple single page websites. I still use Card today. I, I love this. Love this app. For what? Anytime I need to make a site. It's a, it is for me still the fastest way to make a website. Like I think Webflow is more popular probably. Card's easier to use.
2: It's, it's really hard, though.
1: Yeah, like I need to find, there should just be a blog for low IQ people. It's like, hey,
0: if you're <laughs> just, you know,
1: <laughs> let's be honest about where you're at capabilities and talent wise. This is the software you should be using. <laughs> it's like card is, is in that that bucket of really, really like stupidly easy to use. And they came out, they were like kind of hot on product hunt and stuff like that. Like in the kind of when indie hacking was like it had a little moment and then they kind of disappeared. Nobody really was talking about them for a while. And I met the founder one time And he's told me the numbers and they were just crushing it. And I was like, what? he goes, yeah, I know. He goes, actually a really random thing happened. He's like every like political movement uh, started using cards. So like during the campaign, like 2016, 2020 thousands of websites got created using card to promote like election stuff or any cause it was, it became like a thing for causes. Um, He's like, yeah, that drove a ton of growth during that period. And now, yeah, and I think they just raised like a venture round 10 years later, like they bootstrapped for 10 years and then raised like a single round from investors because they kind of couldn't deny like, hey, this is now much bigger than a two person project. We should probably like, yeah. I don't know, hire an employee and, and see what we Yeah, can they do had with two
2: this. people for 10 years, right?
1: Yeah. This guy, AJ, and I think one other guy, and then that was it. And then now they raise a little money. Now they're trying to go for it. But it was this company that you heard about Then you just didn't hear about it for seven years,
0: but that didn't mean it went away. It just meant like it's out of the you know, tech crunch or whatever. I think there's something not talked about about longevity, right? Like just doing it over, over and over and over and over and over for a very long time. I think the second thing is really market selection, right? Like we've stuck with it 15 years almost, but really it's also, we chose a good market, right? Like software went from 10 deals our first year, give or take to not like how many software products out there, hundred thousand plus and more coming. Uh, and so something when people are starting businesses, it's like, okay, well, is this something that's going to be bigger maybe in the future? And then how do you at least be mindful of that as you start? Did
1: you bootstrap it or did you raise money? I bootstrapped. So you have bootstrapped it 14 years in 80 million. So it's profitable. I don't know how wildly profitable or just sort of profitable. I can share the numbers. I'm happy to, to talk about it. Okay, great. Let's do it. If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts.
0: In terms of net revenue, I think we ended, it was 76 something was the actual final at the end of the year. And that's net like revenue gross revenue,
2: meaning you, gross give everything. A, you give a percentage to the software companies. No, no, but zero. he said net. So
0: that's after you paid out the software company, right? So gross sales is 76.7. Net revenue was 56. Wow. Pretty good. And then profit <laughs> was
1: 7.5. And what do you do with that profit? That's like Noah's
0: piggy bank or where, where does it go? Yeah. No, no, it doesn't go there. <laughs> so what we do is it's been the same approach we've had. So we copy Amazon. For If you actually look at our net profit over the past literally 14 years, it's like 0.5% net income margin. Uh, And so what we do is in Q4, we try to spend all the profit we have so that that every year gets bigger and bigger. So take everyone on the team to Mexico, ads, servers, sponsorships if we can, hiring investors, prepaying for things, whatever we can within tax rules, uh, and pay the team distribution, and then whatever's left after that, then me and my partner get some distribution. (laughs) Wait, what? What, What's (laughs) what's confusing about that? uh,
1: That What's confusing about that is... um, What's the point? Wait, so you're but you're including you <laughs> paying yourself out of it, right? Like what's the point of running this business for 14 years without the profits
0: is my my question.
2: He he included he included he just dis- distribution and then you prepay
0: ads for the next year. Yeah, you you try to invest everything as much as you can theoretically if it's a if you think it's a positive investment so that the next year is bigger. Yeah, but it's pretty hard to do that. I we do that for our e-com business it's pretty hard to pay 7 million dollars ahead of time. So what's the <laughs> no, big No, no, it doesn't there? go all- no, we spend like, I think almost $2 million distributed back to the team just so that they have bonuses. Um, and for the first five, just for what was interesting, though, first five years, I didn't pay myself anything. Right. It was like, how do I put everything back in? Even though we were doing pretty good in terms of the business, like the business hit right away, which most businesses don't. You guys know that. Like, you try a lot of things and not all of them work. Uh, but after I think year six, I was like, I got nothing to show. I don't think I'm going to go public. No one's trying to buy us. Like, I'd like to have some money in the bank. So I think. Well, like, were you broke?
2: I mean, because like before this, you'd ran, um, what was it called? GameKick uh, or KickFlip? Uh, KickFlip was one of them and then Gambit. And then you were with Mint and then you were famously
0: with Facebook. Um, were you cash poor for a long time? No, I've, I've never been broke. <laughs> I had a million dollars at 30 from day jobs. I think that's kind of like not recognized by most people, meaning, one, I was super cheap. Right. So I lived on floors for a year. That's a good way to save money. (laughs) Lived at my mom's house, lived at my aunt's house. So just as as cheap as possible. I did get two paydays. One payday was from the Gambit payments company. So I think I made around 350,000. That was payments for Farmville and all those annoying games. Uh, And then the conferences. So those plus just being really conservative with the cash, like it was about a million dollar liquid around 30. Can you tell the Facebook story? I know you've told this before, but like I said, I think
1: a lot of this is buried in your blog that people, nobody's reading blogs anymore. And so I don't want I don't this, to, I don't want the story to go untold. What, uh, what happened with Facebook? How did you kind of blow
0: like a hundred million dollar payday? It was more of a few hundred million dollar payday. <laughs> Every year I think worse. it's also, a good, it was a good, it was, thanks for rubbing it. Do you know this word short Freud? Yes. Yeah. Pleasure in other That's, people's pain, right? <laughs> it's like one of my favorite words. It's like, they have a word for that. I think it's just kind of the wild thing about it. I mean, you know, it's funny. I posted on Twitter some of these like old Facebook memories with like me and Zuck and uh, Moskovitz and Bosworth, who's now the CTO, or Chris Cox, uh, Charlie Cheever, Adam D'Angelo. It was, it was, you know, Arrington from TechCrunch. It was, an, it was a special time, man. It was a really Tell special story. time. So, so how did you get there? What were you doing? What was it like and what happened? Uh, I worked at Intel, had a day job, but I was always building stuff on the side. So I was always kind of just doing things like, built collegeup.org. Craigslist for college students. No one used that. NinjaCard.com, discount cards for college students. That did really well. Uh, and then I was putting on conferences. So Entrepreneur 27. I was basically just really wanting to get the hell out of a day job and, and have my an, uh, own business. So I sent in my resume cold. But the differentiator was that I sent in mock-ups. So I, I took Facebook and I was like, here's Facebook Maps. If we ever have a Facebook Maps feature. So if you want to go see your friend, here's how it would look. And they were like, wow, you have a bunch of businesses for college students and you're doing, you're showing us what you would do here. And you're not a designer, right? So you're, you're scrapping these mockups together. You paid somebody. What'd you do? No, that was myself. So I think I was either using Google Slides. I don't even know if that was around, probably Microsoft Paint. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm talking super basic. It doesn't have to be fancy. Google Slides is probably that and Canva are probably the best free things you and could did use. Did you just cold email Zuck or how, how who'd you send? It no, to? no, no, no. I, so I was going to quit Intel in December because I was waiting for my health insurance to kick in. I wanted to get my HSA payment. <laughs> and then I just saw the job listing. There, I didn't know anyone there. And so you uh, you
1: send that in. They're like, cool. You go, what was your first impression walking into the office? I guess, what what was it like back then? Because what And what year was this for Facebook?
0: This was 2005. I think one of the things for people out there, if you want to get a job, which I think could be cool, is just go look at what you're using all the time. You know, if you listen to a podcast, if you're working on a product... To be clear though, it is work. People think that at Absumo, they're like, oh, I'm gonna come party with you guys. Like, you realize like 90% of our day is sitting on a computer working. 10%, yeah, we do a lot of cool stuff. But um, when I came in there, it was chaotic. I mean, I posted one of these photos, it was a good memory where like there's cables everywhere, the desks were kind of all over the place. Um, but it felt like there's something special happening. It felt like there's like, holy shit, we're we're on a mission that no one else is a part of and we know where this is going. And then we have this, this truly fearless leader that that seemed like a savant. That was—he's definitely awkward as hell, but uh, I was really impressed about you know what he was able to do and how big he was thinking about this company would could be.
2: What numbers were was he throwing around?
0: Yeah, so a few crazy things—crazy things that people f- forget though—he copied ConnectU. I don't know if everyone remembers this. In a weekend, he copied someone else, and then emailed out his uh, emailed out to his uh, dorm, and that's how it got going. So I think people think these big companies start very complicated. No, he copied someone else, launched it, it worked, then he kept going. And then he changed his vision. So some of the crazier things that I recall was at a very early time, he rejected a billion dollar sale, which now maybe sounds a lot or a little, but imagine, like, Sean, you're what, 30-something? 31? 35, yeah. 35. You're 24 years old, and there's like, hey, I'm going to give you a billion dollars. This was Yahoo. I think all of us would take that in a heartbeat. I took a $100,000
1: job, so I think I was going to take the billion dollar to offer to. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I heard this crazy story where they're like, I think it was Yahoo that was offering to buy him. where uh, you know, Zuck's sitting there and all the Yahoo gray hairs are talking to him and they make the offer. And he was like, hey, can you guys leave the room so we could discuss this? And Peter Thiel's in there and the executives leave the room and everyone's looking at Zuck like, all right, so let, let let's take this. And he goes... So I just wanted to like sit in here and pretend like we're talking about this because obviously we're not going to take this deal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) By the way, you're totally making this up. That's not what
2: happened. (laughs) That's what I heard. I I read a blog post on it. The story is
1: they got the offer. Then there was the next board meeting. At the next board meeting, he was like, uh, which is like where Peter Thiel and others were. He was like, okay, bit of housekeeping. We got to discuss, you know, we're supposed to talk about this. Got this offer. Obviously not going to take it. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe we should, Mark, that's a lot of money. We should talk about this. That's what they said. But even that, I think, is Sean. A, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. Well, I think there's even more revisionist history, which, which is interesting here, because <laughs> then later there's another story that Zuck actually accepted an offer from I think it was I think it was Yahoo, and is um, it was Yahoo or Microsoft? I don't remember. And then they reneged. They came back and tried to negotiate down. Uh, so like, you know, he took 1.2 and then they came back and said, no, it's going to be like 900 or something. There's another story like that. And so none of these are congruent because Peter Thiel tells the story, right? That's where the, that was the source of that story where he was just trying to say how Zuck yeah. is this, you know, he was this like visionary, um, you know, balls of steel turned down the billion dollar offer. But then there's this other story where he kind of took it. And I'm like, well, and they're like, I they think he wanted revenge because they, they negotiated him down. It's like, but wait, he said yes. So I don't really know Uh, what the truth is, but I know there's a lot of this BS in startup lore where
0: people make up stories that make somebody sound more, more, uh, brave or hundred percent. I I would, you know, someone asked me a few days ago, like, is Zuck good or bad? And I think he's good. I think people might have negative impression, but he was, he, he's, he's ambitious, but I think he always, at least when I was there, had good intentions of being ambitious. It wasn't like, I need to manipulate the media. He's probably like, what are you talking about? It's just an algorithm. I don't know. Like change it up again. We'll fix it. No, can I ask about the environment? Because I remember once
1: in when I lived in San Francisco, we were I was doing a startup. I thought I was doing a I thought this is it. We're we're all we're just like every other startup. We're in the race, we're in the hunt, we're gonna make the next big thing. And then I went to a friend's office who was doing a startup and they actually had product market fit. And like the market was pulling their product, they were growing faster than they could handle. Yes. And I walked into that office, which was smaller, <laughs> way less nice, you know, didn't have like didn't have it. Wasn't super organized. They had like you know people were sitting on the floor and like there was just like people everywhere. There's cables everywhere. It was like a different vibe. Is the company still around? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it actually sold uh, for you know a few hundred million dollars. And so I walked home and I remember thinking on my way home, oh fuck, we're just playing the house. Like that's what it's supposed to feel like when it's working. I didn't even actually realize it till I stepped foot in there. But that's a totally different energy. Yeah. They have it and we don't. And um, did you feel that when you went into the Facebook
0: office? 100%. I felt it. I've been lucky to feel it a few times. At Mint, I felt it. AppSumo feels it. And I think it, inside at Facebook, one, my boss got fired the day I I, I started. So I walked in and my boss is walking out, which is a really strange, you know, I just left Intel, which, you know, I had, you know, eight meetings a day and I had all this training. It was horrible. And I, you know, I go into a room and Zuck's like, your, your boss, Doug who ended up founding GoodRx. You guys know GoodRx? Yep. Oh, wow. It's pretty, pretty pretty impressive. Um, I just fired him because he, he wanted, he's, a lot of guys from Facebook came from Yahoo. And he's like, he tried to sell the company. So it's my company. I fired him. Welcome to Facebook. <laughs> and then I just grabbed literally a corner of a desk and it was like, all right, well, what should I work on? Right? And it, it's literally like a stark contrast from Intel where like everything is regimented. And uh, it was amazing. I think the thing that was interesting that others didn't know is that we saw the internal metrics about the growth. So we knew there was something happening that others didn't see. In terms of like, I think we were at $10 million the day I started. By the day I got fired, it was about $50 million. Uh, So we just saw that like, wow, this growth. But the threats were serious. Like Google was a threat, which people you know kind of forget today. MySpace was a huge threat. Uh, and obviously now those things aren't even really talked about. What were you doing the, the math when you were thinking about how much your stock's eventually going to be worth? Were you like, man, this might make $10 million? My whole thing was that I just thought the equity is going to be insanely valuable. I didn't know. At Mint, I had a very specific number I thought it would sell for, which I was accurate there. Facebook, I was like, I don't know the limit. Because Zuck's vision was to connect the entire world. And his whole his quote was like, we want to be a toll booth for the internet. I remember that. And that was inspiring. It was nice. You know, even at Appsu now, I, I'm now like, okay, what are we excited about? Um, and now we're excited to promote software. Like, we love promoting software. And it's like, his was like, I want to connect the entire world. Can you imagine showing up to work? And he's connecting the entire world, and and what he did a lot of really clever things, which was how do I reduce all distractions? So like he paid for all of our parking tickets, uh, he paid for all of our cleaning, he paid for us to live close, he paid for like everything. So all we had to do was focus on work.
1: And that wasn't so it was, normal back then, right? Like uh, no, it was for your super boss abnormal to like pay think, your parking tickets and be like, hey, there's gonna, just bring your laundry here, Sh- like shut up about your life and just bring your laundry here and just work because uh, yeah, we, when we were hanging out with Mr. Beast, Jack Smith said this the other day. He we were hanging out and he goes. I like how he just has no disregard for social norms because we were like, how'd you hire this guy? or are like, how do you train people? And he's like, they move in with me basically. Like they just, I attach them to my hip. They follow me everywhere. We work seven days a week. And then after six months, like now you could start to give your ideas because you now, you have now fully absorbed me. And they're like, all right, well, I don't think I could, isn't there like California labor laws? Like, how does this work? Yeah. And, um, and, and I, I think it was yeah. right. Like, the absolute disregard for social norms, I've now learned is like a very, very positive attribute or signal in highly, highly successful
0: people. Sounds like Zach mm. was kind of like that too. I don't know if that, I think asking and doing things that you believe, I think you guys are very good at that. But there's also, I think negatives. Like I remember this guy, Dan, died and a, bi- a tree fell on him this, during one of the work days he was biking and a tree killed him. Oh and I'm like, okay, are we going to put a bike rack outside? Are we going to have a moment? And there was not even any acknowledgement. It was like, let's just work. And I just thought well, that, was, that was insane.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a price to pay for being crazy like that, right? Like there's pros and cons.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's special to be a part. Of, and you have to think like we had Harvard PhDs in customer support. Like imagine that. <laughs> like people that wanted to be there so badly, it doesn't matter your degree, you just can work there. And so being in that environment was really special. And just like learn, seeing all this amazing talent that that was there and that has left to go do really cool things. And so why did they fire you? It's funny. I was actually looking at the pictures. I was fired at basically because of Coachella. <laughs> like you, you dipped out? I was like, I was drunk and high at Coachella. And then for me, I, I was blogging about Facebook because I was so excited about it. I think go find things you're excited about it and tell the world about it if you think it's a good thing. that That's how I've always felt with the stuff I do. And I let uh, Arrington at TechCrunch know, like, hey, Facebook's opening up to at Microsoft and at corporate emails in the morning. I think you should write about it and, get, and talk about it because Facebook wasn't going to do any press. And he wrote about it that night. And then I emailed Zuck and some of the other E-team. And I let him know what I did. So I think it was that. And then I, I think uh, for me, I also felt frustrated. You, got, you guys have seen these people where, for me at 30 people, when it was like, no, just figure things out. So I was like, all right, I'm going to help build mobile with Slee. Or I'm going to help build ads. Or I'm going to help do the status update thing, which they didn't even want to do. It was just fun. It was very like, there's a lot to do there. And and I was also probably more immature. And then as I got older, and it grew, I I didn't want to be in meetings. I didn't want to do Excel project management. I didn't want to have long discussions with 30 people about basic ideas. When did it become corporate? I mean, at that point, it was 150 people. It felt very corporate to me. It felt very, you know, and if you look at Facebook, what's the last great thing Zuck has done since 2005? Besides acquiring other people, what does he come up with portal? That was a floppage. Like, name one thing he's actually done. Besides make, he's acquired, he's made good decisions acquiring people, I'd say that. Yeah, just gotten
2: bigger. I mean, that's why Facebook's great. It's just, it's because everyone uses it. I mean, it's so big. I remember when Sarah, my wife, worked there, they were like, we're doing this thing in India where we put blimps or drones up in the sky. And I was like, why are they doing that? They're like, well, because the only people who aren't on Facebook are the people in India who don't have internet. So we're just going to go give them free internet so they can use Facebook. I mean, his relentless drive towards growing to everyone is is what he's done.
1: Yeah, and stuff like you know the part thing is the bigger you get, the harder it is to move the needle. So it's like marketplace, super successful, but kind of like who cares? It's like yeah, you Eh. built Craigslist inside Facebook. (laughs) It's fine. Uh, You know they need us. They need to do something so big, right? That's why it's like the metaverse or AI. Like they have to go on these huge waves just to kind of like move the needle for
0: yeah. how big Facebook is. I think what what was really interesting, what people can re- think about in their own businesses, is the core really great? Because like Facebook Marketplace or Facebook Events, I was really excited to, to grow and improve and monetize early on, and he was just against it completely. And I noticed that with AppSumo, or our core business is go find cool products, get a deal on them, promote them. That's it, right? But it gets very exciting to think, all right, can we do MRR? Can we do all these other options? But really, it's like, can you do the core excellent and then start adding new things at a later point.
2: Some of the, some of the cool stuff. So you, you've had this video where you went on this plane with this guy who I think was a commodities trader. Or I, I think that's mm. what he said. You know, and I assume he was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I know that you have a bunch of friends who are billionaires. You told me ahead of time, you said uh, most billionaires that you know are unhappy. T- what, what, tell me more about like, what you've noticed about hanging
0: out with some of these like, uber, uber successful people. Most of them didn't set out to be billionaires. Like you hear people online like, I want to be a billionaire. It's like almost every billionaire I know and I've worked for them or multi-multi-millionaire was just like, here's something I'm curious about or excited about. And yes, maybe in private equity or finance, but a lot of the entrepreneur ones. It was just like stuff they're curious about. All of them got rich as well in one way. Like I was just at FedEx this morning because I interviewed the guy from uh, Kinko's. He just focused on copiers. That's it. But a lot of newer entrepreneurs I've seen or ones that haven't had as much success. are like, I'm going to do five different solopreneur startups this weekend. It's like, okay, you can test five, but which one's working? Let's just do one. These billionaires just did one. But they tell us to diversify. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I think that's always fascinating for me is they do one thing. And, and this is, again, we kind of come back to the AppSumo story is they stuck with it for a very long period of time. Like think about any billionaires you know. How long did it take? Yeah, I mean, 20 years, 30 years, a lifetime, a lifetime, a career, a lifetime, a lifetime. And we're trying to get rich in a weekend or which, you know, crypto rich in a month. And I think the, the slow compounded growth over long periods of time is what doesn't get recognized.
2: Sean, didn't you say that was like your major takeaway from your camp MFM?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say it exactly like that, but, um, when, uh, I was talking to Jimmy and I was like, yeah, I think the thing I'm, you know, most, uh, the thing that's standing out to me the most as I'm I get out of my bubble. I reassess. I reflect. It's the start of the new year. Is I think I'm spending um, so much energy, but I'm spreading it out. I'm spreading it too thin, and that's a mistake. Like I'm doing more and getting less. And I put it differently. I said, I think you have a thousand times more opportunity. Hit you know opportunities coming to you every day, and you've said yes to half the things I have. So something's wrong here. I think in general, the more successful you get, uh, the more opportunities you get, but the more things you should, and, and you should be saying no to, I think Hormozy said a nice thing about this that I, uh, I thought resonated. He goes, let's say you get, let's say you're making 10,000 a month and now somebody comes and offers you something that's going to make you a thousand dollars. Pretty easy to say, no, like you have a going rate. If you're making a hundred thousand a month and somebody comes to you and says, here's something that'll make you 10 grand. Easy to say, no. The hard thing is when you're making a hundred grand, and somebody comes to you and says, "Here's the thing that can make a hundred grand," and you're like, "That's my rate." But what happens is you now have to, you, you've now split your focus, and you're basically you're you're losing life balance, but you're also doubling down on the amount of work that you have to do, only to get you know one more unit compared to where you were. And it's like the best people, the smartest people. They basically when they're at the hundred, they don't say yes to the next thing that can get them hundred or two hundred. They will only say yes to something that might get them you know ten x more than that. And so the right way to do it is to basically say, all right, this gave me the right to say no to certain things. And the hardest one to say no to is the one that's at the current level where you're currently at. And the people who really break out and get to the next level, they're the ones who are able to 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 say no, stay focused until they see something that is truly 10x better opportunity than what they have. So how are you, how are you changing this year? Well, I said no to a bunch of things. I shut down two of the things that I was working on that were working, but they were more in that like, one X, um, one X type of category. And then every day I basically start my day with the first three hours. Cause I was like, you know, the the main thing I want to focus on is is making great content. It's the thing I love doing the most. It's the thing I think I'm I'm best at. But the hard part is a deal comes on the table and now I'm spending, you know, the first eight hours that day working on that deal or that investment or that opportunity or that new, new idea. And so I just carved out where the first three hours of the day I'm only doing content. And I was like, cool, I want this to eventually be eight hours, 10 hours a day. But the thing I can control is that the first three hours, I'm not going to say yes to anything else. I'm only going to say yes to this. And the cool part is as soon as you do the first three hours, you have so much momentum the natural thing to do is just to keep going. And so that's been uh, very effective so far.
2: Where are you, Sean, where are you going to start making content? Like when you keep saying content creation, are you talking specifically (laughs) text?
0: Are you talking about text-based? Are you blogging? Is coming back? Sean, blogger.com? might come
1: back. All all ideas are on the table. So right now I'm just prototyping. So I'm basically trying to figure out which one do I enjoy the most. I knew I would enjoy podcasting. Um, I listened to a ton of podcasts. I had prototyped it. So before this podcast, I had recorded two other podcasts, one with my roommate and brother-in-law at home where we talked about sports and never released it. There's only been three listeners ever. It's me and the two guys I did it with. Then I did another podcast at my office when I was doing a startup. It was me, Furcon, and a couple of, a couple other guys. Three episodes. I think they're up on YouTube somewhere. Nobody ever watched them. But doing that, even though those podcasts went nowhere, it did do one thing, which is showed me, oh man, I really like doing this. And how cool would it be if I actually like could do this all the time or it was actually, you know, if people actually listen to it, man, that would be amazing. And so I had prototyped and I had felt it out before I, in order to know that that's actually something I wanted to do. So when I say new content, I'll dabble with, let's say short form or, or write uh, you know, I'll write a, a, br- a brief to a book, like, you know, an outline to a book in the first two chapters, because I'm trying to understand what, do, do I want to write a book or not? I don't need to commit to that because I can prototype it and feel it out first.
2: You definitely should go the book route. The problem with the book route, Noah, that you've seen, it seems so fucking hard. It seems so hard. Everyone I know who who writes a book, they describe it exactly how my friends who run marathons do, where they complain constantly while they're in training. They say the race is miserable. And then about two weeks after the race happens or the book goes live, they go, all right, I think I'm going to do this next book on this topic. And I'm like, man, I just heard you complain for two years. No, you've been talking about this freaking book for years i think it's been way longer than four years actually i remember you talking about how you wanted to write a book forever and it took four freaking years to do this thing is it you think it's gonna be worth it what's the roi gonna be
0: i like it i'm proud of it i think it's first off and you know coming back to well and the the roi on that i think it's gonna impact people i think one person at a time i've already seen it right i've seen people read it and i'm like holy shit really you know, even I think with these things like what, what you guys have done with your show and Sean's like what you're exploring when yours, well, your content is like, what's something you're excited to do? And that's kind of hard. Or right? like, no one's ever proud of themselves. Like, yeah, I wrote, I walked five feet. <laughs> like, <laughs> but if you run a mile or if you run a marathon, you're like, damn, that was hard, but I can actually do this. And I think that, that, that to me was really the ultimate RI in this book. Thinking can I actually face myself and, and work on a book and help other people? And then can people do it for themselves? Dude, why did you become so political? What do you mean? Where I like, I'm. It's called, <laughs> you're, you're like a politic You're like a politician,
2: my friend. Like, so old Noah. <laughs> I gotta tell a story about old Noah. I remember, uh, Sean. One time, there's a coworker who I work with, who Sean you are friends with, and she. Uh, we go into this meeting, and Noah shows up shirtless. He's got no shirt on. <laughs> he's in his house. I think he's like on his couch, and I'm like. Noah, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like he he was this like crazy madman. And that's actually what made him brilliant was like he would do all this crazy stuff and he executed crazy stuff really, really, really well. But now when I ask what the ROI is of this, you you're showing so much evolution. You're talking about changing yeah. people's lives. It's so funny to see you say this this stuff.
0: Well one, thank you.
1: I think we should all change people's lives back then too, just in a different way, one nip at a time. (laughs) Yeah, one nip (laughs) at
0: time. (laughs) I've also I I I, I was going to talk about inverted my inverted nipples, which I'm very self conscious about. Okay, no, I mean, look, I'm maturing. Do I want to show up shirtless? Maybe if we're hanging out in our sauna, like come over. But I I think as you you get older, you also realize like, what kind of behavior do you want to do? And I think that's fine. Uh, Do the book? I think people have these these like bullshit ROI things. Like I want to. Help a million people. I don't give a shit about that. I don't. But I am happy if like one or two or five or a thousand or ten thousand then read the book and do something for themselves. Um,
2: Noah, we appreciate you doing this, man. I I forgot to... I should have plugged this earlier on, but I'm doing... I, I'm buying... How many How many books am I buying? 30, 50 books? Something like that. Uh, so I bought a bunch of books. I'm trying to do my part to help you rank up in in the list. So if you go to the anti-mba.com between now and February 15th, uh, to anyone who gives me their email, I'll just like pick. I'll randomly pick fifty of you guys, and I'll send you a link to buy the book for free, or to enter your uh, address in, and, and we'll send you the book. Um, I'm excited to see you do this. I hopefully, hopefully, you uh, impact some people, which I know you will. But also, the the ego side of me is like, hopefully, you rank on some type of bestseller list, which I know is also pretty cool. <laughs> um, we appreciate you doing this. Uh, what do you want to? It's called Million Dollar Weekend. You're Noah Kagan on Twitter dot Noah no kagan on youtube i'm missing any other plug no man it's oh, by, the uh, book.
1: by the way noah i had an experience like this that shifted my life i'm a testimonial for this even before your book came out uh i was working on a startup my very first startup we were working on it for like nine months trying to get everything right we literally had a 300 page business plan it was embarrassing let now that i look back but we thought that meant we were you know doing everything we were dotting every you know we we're dotting t's and crossing i's out here and so uh we, i was like all right well at a certain point i looked at my my co-founder and i was like my co-founder he's my roommate my friend and <laughs> i was like um, i was like dude i feel like we just keep telling everyone we're doing a business but we don't actually do any business he's like what and i was like like how long have we been sitting here with this whiteboard and this plan and like how much we have no revenue we've never made a dollar like who, i can't believe this and we just keep tricking ourselves into thinking that this is legit i just read the 4 hour work week and i was like all right this weekend We are going to make money. I don't care how. I was like, and we set a goal for $1,000. I said, we're going to try to make $1,000 in the next, you know, basically it was was Friday. I was like, we're going to make it by Sunday night. And uh, I don't care how. Let's go. And instantly, just by having that intention, things started to fall together. We made this website. We found a product on Alibaba. We got it drop shipped. We made our first sale. We sold basically, I don't know, a few hundred of these like wristbands, like kind of customized wristbands, like those fat, like Live Strong bands. Um, yeah, to somebody whose, uh, their parents were having an anniversary and they needed like 200 of these. We charged them like, you know, four or five bucks per, we made a thousand dollars in one weekend. And I felt like the champion of the, of the universe. And I was like, this is what business is supposed to feel like. Taking action, yeah. actually going out there, trying to sell a product, um, moving fast. Don't try to perfect everything. You don't need a 300 page plan. And after that, like literally my you know, my whole game shifted just from that one experience. And so- I haven't read your book yet. You sent it to me. I'm going to read it. But I already, like in my soul, am on board with what you're all about. <laughs> Dude,
0: I did that wristband business too.
1: That's so crazy. They, they were hot at the time, right? Like, every kid was wearing them. Every college kid was wearing them.
0: But I think the, the thing you called out, which is interesting and that's awesome, is like because you said, hey, I'm going to do something and I have this limited time. And you have 52 of them, right? So especially if you guys got kids and all this stuff, you, you don't have a lot of time. But you can make an hour or two on a weekend to, to do something. And then look at what you did in a weekend, which you didn't do in months.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly that. Look what you did in the weekend that you didn't do in months. So that's, that's how it's exactly how it felt. And then I was like, I either can go back to the old way or I can go this new way, this action way. And the action way became the way. And that, you know, basically that became, I don't know, like Sam, it's so funny. You have that tatted on your feet. Like that's. It's been tatted in my brain. That's like the only thing, Uh, you know, I I remember literally looking around. I was at Duke and there's a bunch of smart kids at Duke. I thought when I was in high school, I was the smart kid. Then you go to a college with all the smart kids from those high schools and you realize, Oh, you ain't shit. And I was like, all right, yeah. Am I just going to be like forgettably average? Cause that's where this is going. And I was like, am I really going to get smarter than these people? Am I going to, I don't have any talent, like special talents that they that that nobody else has. But I realized that a lot of smart people are overthinkers. They hesitate, they doubt, they overanalyze, and I was like, "That's my thing. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to immediately take action, and that will be the difference. And that will be my thing. And I could just that'll be the bedrock that I can build any kind of success on, rather than trying to ha- have been like a special snowflake that was, uh, you know, uh, pre predestined to do great things. And that just became my uh, my my motto."
2: I've still got the needle, bro. We can change that. We can, we can. <laughs> dude, let's it.
0: tat it. Let's tat. It. <laughs> well, Sean, but most people who listen to your show want to make a million. They don't ever make a buck. They never mm. make even make that one dollar, and that's where they have to get you know get off their ass. <laughs> and What's
1: the heck? <laughs> well, that was bars, dude. That was that was great. <laughs> like like good lyrics nice
2: nice words thank you like bro you're a 40 year old youtuber how do you not know these things <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm learning the the vocab but ch- dude i read this good book last night sam you made me inspired by it it's called the art thief and uh this guy who steals art but one of the things he said that stuck with me is like what's the first thing you look at when you wake up in the morning and i, I do respect that i love that you're like well this is the area i want to improve, which is you know you saw it on your feet I don't see my feet first thing in the morning, but it's like, put something on your bedside. Put something out where you're like, first thing you see in the morning. Maybe it's Sean's face. (laughs) Maybe it's Million Dollar Weekend. Maybe it's something, but I I love that idea. I'm
2: getting my whole legs done. You know, not you know. I've got a kid now, so maybe I'll do her name. But uh, I've huh. got a, I've got a, I've got bold, fast, fun tattooed on my thighs because BFF. That's kind of what I live for when it comes to business. <laughs> um, I've got a pirate ship. Is, is hey, that, that is, is that
1: bro? Live, laugh, love is bold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that's I, true. I moved to Austin and I
2: found myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did the work, Sean.
1: It's yeah, self-love. Yeah, okay, so did you, work, you did Sean.
2: the work, dude. <laughs> Congratulations. Dude, well, well, you know, the reason I like homemade tattoos is you do what you want. What I found out when you go to tattoo shops, basically you find an artist that you like and you're like, here's kind of what I want. And they're like, yeah, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And you're like, too embarrassed to like tell them exactly what, the, what you want because this guy, you want to impress them. And so I basically have a whole bunch of tattoos on my legs and all throughout my body that I was just trying to trying to impress Hector my tattoo artist <laughs> but, so <laughs> so that's pretty much how it works when it comes to tattoos um no we appreciate you coming uh we'll wrap here uh that's the pod I
0: feel like I can rule the world I know I could be what I want to uh, I put my all in it like no days off on a road let travel never looking
2: back